Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Stremming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. Friends, I'm excited to let you know about Connection Summit Conversations. This is six candid conversations between Marissa Martino, myself, and occasionally a special guest, covering everything from the human half of dealing with dog-directed reactivity to the importance of play. So check out the link in the show notes. We're getting started soon, and you won't want to miss it. Today's podcast was spurred by a patron question from Aaron. Aaron writes, what are your thoughts on removing toys slash free access to toys in the house in order to build toy drive for sports? It feels icky to me to use deprivation to cause more desire for toys, but maybe I'm overthinking it since it's such common advice with agility. So Aaron, first of all, this is advice that I don't give and it's advice I used to give. So I've had a lot of time (laughs) to think about it and in general, I do not want to create a state of deprivation in my captive animals. So that is a core value for me, that their needs must be fully met and that that must be my first priority, my first order of business. And then training for sports can come much, much later. When it comes to something like toys, you could take all the toys up in the environment and only present toys during training. And to be fair, I have toys that are for training that are not available all the time. But let's talk about food, which is a little bit less complicated, and then relay it back to toys because I think the argument is often, well, you don't have free access to food all the time and you use food in training. So what's the difference between not allowing access to toys and not allowing access to food constantly. The big difference for me is that welfare piece, that welfare question. Free feeding is not the height of welfare for a dog. It's not a natural way for a dog to eat, and it promotes a variety of health concerns. It's, it's not a good idea to free feed. Whereas having an environment that is rich with enriching toys and other items is the height of welfare for the dog. So removing toys from the environment may create a welfare deficit, whereas removing a free feeding environment does not. So that's why it's different to me. But I will add the caveat that I do not produce desperation for food in order to increase food drive. I am not interested in starving a dog ever. I'm not even interested in skipping a meal for the dog to produce more food drive. If a trainer or seminar presenter or whatever tells me to fast my dog or to bring them to the seminar hungry, I have concerns about that. Now, I want to make sure that my dogs aren't overeating. So 
if I'm going to take my puppy to puppy kindergarten, I'm probably not going to give him dinner before he goes. I think that's really different from only offering food during certain circumstances. Like you do the thing I want you to do and then you can have your dinner. And I think it's really different from, you know, producing a caloric deficit to make the dog higher drive for food. Trainers do this all the time in board and train. It's pretty common practice to only feed the dog through training. And if the dog is too stressed, too afraid, too aggressive to work for you for food, well, after three days of not eating, I just I just saw a TikTok about it the other day. A trainer was saying, this dog has been in my care for three days. And on the fourth day of not eating, finally ate from my hand because he was insisting the dog eat from his hand. That to me is, that's abuse. I think that that is unacceptable. That is an abuse of power, if not um, an abuse of the animal. So I am not interested in deprivation leading to more drive. And what is drive? It is an innate need to satisfy an urge. Okay, so they've all got food drive. They all have drive to eat or they'd be dead. So in order to make more drive for eating we could deprive them of food. We could starve them. We could keep them at a caloric deficit. And I know people do that. I don't think that's okay to do. So my dogs are going to get the correct amount of food for them every single day, whether they do what I wanted them to do or not, period. I would never give them a Kong and have them go, I don't know how to do a Kong or a Kong is too hard for me and then not give them a meal outside of a Kong. Does that make sense? So I wouldn't do that. And I also wouldn't say, you have to do this work for me in this really tough situation that you don't like, or you're not going to get fed. So in the same sense that I don't think it's okay to starve them to get better food drive, I also don't think it's fair to keep them in a barren environment. So for me, an environment rich with positive reinforcement is what wellness is. So that's kind of, that's the opposite of depression it's is having an environment that is rich in that positive reinforcement it's also you know well documented that choice is a welfare issue and that providing choice to the dogs in our care is you know and that's documented for every single species that is held captive that if we don't provide some choice over their environment then we will see welfare deficits. And what do welfare deficits look like? They look like most common behavioral concerns in pet dogs. That's what they look like. When dogs live in environments where there are not welfare deficits, it is rare that they have big behavior problems that can't be solved. So for me, deprivation actually produces desperation, okay, not drive. So Drive is the thing that they've already got that they already showed up with, but I can make them a little bit desperate by withholding that thing that they already have a drive to get. And let's look at what the definitions are. So like I said, drive is an innate desire to do a thing. So it's an innate urge to satisfy a need. Desperation, though, is defined as a state of despair that results in rash or extreme behavior. Y'all, I'm going to read that again. Desperation is a state of despair that results in rash or extreme behavior. Rash and extreme behavior is what you get through deprivation. And a lot of people in dog sports think that what they're seeing 
is drive when I would agree, when I would argue that they are seeing rash and extreme behavior. So for instance, I see a lot of dogs that are desperate to do agility, desperate to run the course. These dogs are labeled high drive when I would say they're exhibiting rash and extreme behavior, which means that they are in fact not high drive, they're desperate. How do we produce that? We produce it by having the only fun thing in their life being dog agility, the only time that they get to move their entire body and use their minds being dog agility. The rest of their life is producing a deficit in the ability to move their entire body and use their mind. Especially the breeds that we choose for dog sports, so I'm gonna pick on Border Collies as I always do. If you select a Border Collie to be your sport companion, and then you essentially expect it to be a couch ornament most of the time and maybe take it on a leash walk around your neighborhood once a day, you are not providing the environment that dog is designed to be in. You are producing a welfare deficit that will result in the desperation to do the sport that you will then label high drive, and I do not think that's okay. I want my dogs to have rich, full, fun lives without dog agility. So that if tomorrow we stop doing dog agility, they do not suffer. If they suffer without the sport, the rest of their life is not doing what it should do for them. Now, my dogs love agility. Felix in particular really loves agility. And I see him get a lot out of agility that he doesn't get out of hiking, for instance. But he gets something out of hiking that he doesn't get from agility. And it's really important for him to have both and for him to have an environment that is rich in all these things. He also loves playing with toys. He loves playing with toys with me or by himself. And if I took all the toys away, I would absolutely produce a state of desperation for him. In the same sense that a dog in a caloric deficit would feel desperate about food. So the short answer to your question, Erin, is no, I'm not interested in removing free access to anything, but there are plenty of dogs for whom toys are never going to be important enough for them to work for, but could be important enough to just kind of enhance their life, right? If they plop down and chomp on a toy twice every day, but they aren't into the toy enough to do weave pulls for you for it, I'm going to say that you need to accept that as the dog that you have and just train with food. And there are a lot of ways to improve the dog's work for food that do not involve caloric deficits, that do not involve producing welfare deficits, like removal of enrichment from the environment, which is to me what removing toys from the environment is. You, you don't have to do that with food the way that you might have to with toys. So... And then the bottom line is that you said it feels icky to me. And I would like to just scream from the rooftops to everyone that if a piece of advice feels icky to you, there's a reason for that and you should trust it no matter whose mouth it came out of. Okay, I've got a few Patreon questions for you. The first one comes from Caroline who writes, what are some of your favorite dog or dog training books for lay people? There's so much out there and I find it really hard to figure out what is what. So I have two that I think um, basically everybody should read. The first one is has actually been my recommendation for 
anybody as an intro to training book for a very long time, basically since its publication. And it is When Pigs Fly, Training Success with Impossible Dogs by Jane Killian. And even though Pigs Fly is written for, you know, people attempting to train quote unquote untrainable breeds, it's just solid training information. So it's been my favorite for a long time. And then recently, I've read Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy, and I think that that should be on every dog owner's shelf, preferably before they bring the dog home. Next one comes from Morgan. What do you suggest for socializing a baby puppy before their Parvo series is complete? Um, I want to take her everywhere, but I want to be safe about such a serious illness. So, Morgan, it is really important that you socialize your little baby puppies and the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior actually recommends that you do not isolate puppies before their vaccine series is complete and I can link to some information on that but generally speaking you need to know what the risk level in your area is and you also need to know the vaccine status of the puppy's mother to try to do your very best so for me I live in a relatively low-risk low area, and I know that any puppy I buy is going to be from a mother who has immunity, and so I don't worry a whole lot about it. I know other people who worry about it a lot. I'm more worried about socialization deficits, and so I expose my puppy, but the you know, the thing about Parvo is that it is everywhere, so of course you can avoid dog-heavy areas. Um, and that will be better. So definitely no dog parks. Definitely no. I don't go to like pet supply stores with tiny babies. I'll take them to other stores that let puppies in. But generally speaking, get your finger on the pulse of where you live. What is the parvo risk where you live? If it's super high risk, you're going to want to do something different than what I do with my puppies. And of course, um, a veterinarian who is well-versed in behavior, a veterinarian who understands that how important socialization is, not giving out blanket, wait until they're fully vaccinated advice, will be able to help you with that. Next one is from Trudy, who writes, I have been working in Rallyo and playing a bit of agility with my youngest dog, who's 13 and a half months old. She loves food rewards and has a pretty decent toy drive. On occasion, while my arm is outstretched, directing her to the next obstacle in agility, she will launch herself towards my arm and has made contact more than once. I have had this issue with one of my past agility dogs years ago. My first reaction is to yell, which is not that helpful as she is pretty sensitive and me, yank me yelling takes her enthusiasm away. I want to find a less aversive way to communicate that my arm is not a play toy. She is a really fun Australian stumpy tail cattle dog and loves to work. So Trudy... I'm glad that you and your dog are having a great time. Biting during toy play to me is usually solved with better toy mechanics. So if I am delivering a horizontal bite surface to my dog, he will never bite me. But if I deliver a dangly, difficult to grab target, he will bite me more often. So I want you to really focus on presenting your dog with a clean horizontal bite surface rather than a lot of our toys and agility tend to be like long, stringy and dangly, which are harder to target for the dog and see if that doesn't help you. If the dog does bite, um, I usually just pause. I usually just stop playing for a second. And honestly, if you have a reaction, like I usually 
have some kind of reaction like ah how <laughs> right um that you know if you have a reaction don't beat yourself up about that don't worry about it um and just try to get back to play as, as quickly as possible after that okay and from jolyn we have my dog has a history of motion sickness in the car Thankfully, while the car is moving, she stays quiet and does her best to cope. However, when we arrive at our destination, she jumps up and begins howling and whining till I get her out of the car or walk out of sight. Once I'm gone, she lays down and is very calm and remains so that I get back into the car. The interesting thing is, uh, she does not make a scene when we arrive home. She jumps up, but doesn't make noise when we see when she sees where we are. Is this just FOMO, fear of missing out? As a response, I have broken down each step of me getting her out of the car and only proceed to the next step when she is quiet. Is this a response you would take? I know this will take time as the whining and howling has been reinforced for a couple years now. So Jillian, you have two problems. You have the motion sickness and then you also have the response of your dog when you arrive at the fun place. The response of the dog when you arrive at the fun place may or might, may not have anything to do with the motion sickness, especially if it's not happening when you're home. I think it is literally just reinforced by getting out and doing fun stuff. You know, motion sickness aside, I'd be doing a whole lot of driving the dog places and not getting the dog out at all. So dog goes to the grocery store, um, dog goes to, you know, if you're going to go pick up food, the dog goes with you and you know, that, that sort of thing. And then when you are somewhere to do something fun, do make sure that she is quiet and settled to make sure she's kind of given up and then let her out. However, you should, she shouldn't be having to cope with the motion sickness. She shouldn't be experiencing it at all. You should um, be talking to your veterinarian about some anti-nausea medication over the counter. Not good enough. I'm talking prescription and you, you know, handling that because it isn't fair that you take this desensitization route that I just recommended if she's going to be sick every time and you could actually make things worse. So best of luck on that, Jolyn. And last one for today comes from Elizabeth who writes, I'm currently in a single dog household, me, my partner, and our two-year-old Golden, no kids, with my first dog as an adult. We'd like to add another dog in a few years, ideally without the house descending into chaos. Having never lived in a multi-dog household, I would love to hear some suggestions for behaviors that I can train and start proofing now. So Elizabeth, great that you're thinking about this now. The first thing I would do is look at your current dog and look at anything that that dog does that would be too much if there were two dogs doing it. So if the dog is really excited when you get home from somewhere or maybe jumps on you or um, maybe, you know, barks at you while you get his food together or pulls on leash or any of these kind of nuisance behaviors that are really not a huge deal if there's only one dog, imagine there being two. And if it is something that you couldn't handle if it was doubled, then make sure that you train it. So, so just get your current dog to a place of training that you're really, really happy with before adding that next dog. And then certainly, you know, you could, you could consult with me. There are online courses. I'm actually working on an online course right now for multi-dog households, which I will certainly be letting uh, my patrons know about as soon as it's up. And if you're looking at the next couple of years, it'll definitely be ready for you before then. And there's a lot of things that you can do, you know, but, but take that advice of anything that the dog does that you couldn't handle if there were two of them, fix it now. And then make sure that you train the new dog from the beginning to kind of avoid those nuisance behaviors as well. And congratulations, I have eight dogs, so be careful. <laughs> and that is it for Patreon questions this week. 
Are you on Patreon yet? It's where you can get all the extras for this podcast. The original tier over there still exists, where the dog people of the internet provide the questions for the episodes and guide the content of the podcast. But there's a new tier. You can become a Cog Dog Arena and get access to my training sessions with my own dog. So that includes agility, obedience, behavior, and stuff with my brand new puppy, Rhea, live guest chats, and more. So go to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. The link is in the show notes. You don't want to miss out.